Thank you. Good morning. My name is Ken Wolf. I'm an elder here at this church. And we've been talking in this Advent season. We talked about hope. Two weeks ago, peace a week ago. This week is love. Great topic. Next week is on joy. Len Bogan's going to be preaching on that. I'm looking forward to that. But the candle this morning that we're going to light represents love. And I'd like to have you, I'm just going to talk about a verse from Ephesians 5. This, this verse in Ephesians sets the stage for the scripture we're going to be using this morning. But we'll get to that in a second. So Ephesians 5 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love as Christ first loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A life of love. The sermon title this morning is A Loving God. And as we look at this passage, it's going to be in from, oh wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hang on. Several years ago, there were some American hostages in the, I think they were in the Middle East. We don't really know. This is a Navy SEAL story and you don't hear a lot of details on this. But these hostages, American hostages were being held. They had been there for quite a while. The U.S. had found out through intelligence that these people needed to be rescued. So a Navy SEAL team was sent. They arrived by helicopter, broke into the compound, found where the hostages were, broke into the room where they were, and it was a very dark room, very dirty. And as the SEALs stood there, they looked across the room, and here were the hostages in the far part of the room, huddled up on the floor, just all dirty, scared, Light was something they didn't want, and light was coming in through the door. They, they, were, they had really been mistreated during their time there. The SEALs couldn't carry all these people out, so they're in a quandary. They want to rescue people that don't want to come. So one of the commanders took off his helmet, night vision goggles, his gun, handed it to his buddy, went over to where the hostages were, got down to the ground with them, put his arm around one of them and said, I've come from America. I'm here to take you home. There was initially no response, but eventually after saying that, I've come from America, I'm here to take you home. Then he said, I've come from America. I'm here to take you home. Follow me. They opened their eyes. They eventually stood up and they were rescued. I I love this as a picture of us as humans. We have been held hostage by the enemy. Jesus comes and whispers into your ear, I've come from heaven. I'm here to take you home. Follow me. Follow me. I want this as a backdrop for the passage that we're going to be reading together and looking at in Matthew 22. Matthew 22, starting in verse 36. This is the last question that any of the outsiders, the bad guys, 
as you will, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the rulers. Last question, according to Matthew, that they ask Jesus. And he gives a profound answer. The ask is in Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You don't have to know much about the human condition to hear this and go, now wait a minute. God is calling us fallen sinners held hostage to love him? Ah, but the key is, He's already made it possible. He's already changed us. We're going to look at the heart and the soul and the mind. We're going to look at those three elements in terms of how God brings us back into fellowship with him. So as we look at the the heart, the heart's kind of the, well, you know, people say they lose heart. We use that phrase or... He's got a broken heart or she's got a broken heart. It, it, it's a, the emotional, I want, I don't want kind of element in our lives. The soul is, the, is kind of the breath of life. And Matthew, not Matthew, Mark talks about, well, let me go to that passage and read that. Because it's, it's really a great summary of how... God saves us and brings us into fellowship. If I can find it. Mark chapter 8. Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And that idea of life, that's the the heart, that's the soul. It it can be translated different ways, but it's kind of the, the thing that we want to be all in with in terms of doing something. The mind, Midland. We've got a lot of strong minds here. <laughs> We've got a lot of training represented here. But yet on the spiritual side, our mind is an enemy to God. Is that, I mean, that's, that's the, got to be clear. That's what the Bible teaches. So when this passage in Matthew 22 says we need to love the Lord with our heart and soul and our mind, at first glance, we should say, Good luck with that. (laughs) Because that's not the human condition. But Jesus comes to us in our being held hostage and says, I've come from heaven. I'm here to take you home. Follow me. Our heart, deceitfully wicked, according to Jeremiah. But in Ezekiel, 
there's a glimpse of how God's going to take that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that can seek after God. Our soul, Jesus says in the, mass, the passage from Mark chapter 8, we, we, want, we want our life. We want we to have everything for us. The world revolves around me. And that's how we make our mark. No, Jesus says, if you give that up, the very thing that you give up, your life, I will get back to you if you present it to me. I'll redeem it. Our mind. Our minds are enemies, according to Colossians. But we're enemies towards God. But God says, oh, I got that too. <laughs> Paul says in, in Romans 12, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God takes all three of those elements. And I, I'm not trying to break down the, the human personality or anything here. Because many times the Bible will use the heart and the soul and the mind to represent all of us, our whole being. But I think this passage, this summary of the law that Jesus gives, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, we need to be all in, completely in, sold out. That's the basis for us as believers, when we become believers and say we're all in with God, we need to keep loving him with all our heart, with all our soul. With all our mind. The bottom line is. This this command. And this command is. Many of you have seen that. Or you already know. That's taken from Deuteronomy 6. All Jews were familiar with this. This was something that they would repeat. Sometimes twice daily. This was a command they knew. But Jesus says. This is the summary of the law. And there's a second command that's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we as believers are sold out all in to loving God with our heart, soul, and mind, then the second command can, can play out and be done. If we don't get the first, if we're not following the first law and we ignore God and we try to maintain relationships on our own, it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> we can all attest to that. But if we look to God for our value, for our identity, for our purpose, and we get those from God, not from relationships with anybody else. If we get those from God, that's where our foundation is. Then the second law can be implemented and done appropriately. We can love people because we're reflecting God's love. We, we don't generate love out of anything that we conjure up in ourselves, we are simply taking God's love and reflecting it. Our, our granddaughter is real big on expiration dates. Uh, I, I, I don't know if, if it tends to be that older people don't care about expiration. I don't know. My wife and I don't care about expiration dates. You know, we open the jar, and if it looks normal, we eat it. <laughs> That's not the way she is. She, she, we, we have stuffed out of the basement that 
we don't know what we've got down there. Some of the stuff is <clears throat> pretty old. What? She's a college student, so we said, you know, go down and shop. So she went down there and she pulled out some things, and we found out later one of the things she took out was like ten years out of date. We were going to eat it. She didn't. Okay. I mean, well, when you put stuff in the fridge, right? Did you ever get in the back and you forget about it and then you go to clean the fridge out and you take it out and it's green? It's not supposed to be? Okay. My point is that when God gives us his love, he doesn't, ask, he doesn't expect us to park it and leave it. He expects us to use it and pass it on. That's what the second commandment's about. Take the love that God has given us as he walks us home to heaven and we follow him, pass it on. Don't let it get outdated. Jesus says, I've come from heaven to take you home. I love you. Follow me. So the, the first law, the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's the foundation. How many of you have heard of the Millennial Tower in San Francisco? Oh, okay. Famous tower. Um, <laughs> it'll be famous after this sermon, right? Okay, this, this is a 58-story building built in 2009 in San Francisco. I mean, Joe Montana bought one of these units. Come on. You know who Joe Montana no. This thing is now leaning 26 inches and has sunk 18 inches into the ground. A 58-story building. Do I have any buyers here? <laughs> Foundations are important. They say in four more years, if they don't fix this thing, and believe me, they're trying to fix it, then the elevators are going to stop working because they're, they're tilted too far. Foundations. If you get the foundations right, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you get that foundation right, like Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, build your house on the rock. Jesus says, I'm the rock. Then your house can withstand a life, whatever, whatever life throws at you. Then, with a good foundation, with Jesus as a foundation, then you can turn around and reflect God's love and have right relationships. I'm not not saying this eliminates problems. I'm not saying that life won't be hard. But what I'm saying is you can see above it because your goal is higher than just what you can see with your eyes and what you're going through. That's my first point. The second point and third point are going to be taking two people that we're very familiar with, Joseph and Mary. And we're going to look and see how this whole first and second commandment play out. These are two examples. And I just, I, I love Joseph and Mary. They, they're normal people. They, they wanted to please God and how they lived. And they got the surprise of their lives. But what happened to them? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 1 
And right at the end of it, starting in verse, verse 18. So Matthew 1.18. Let me read that. 18 to the end of the chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke from sleep, when Joseph, I'm sorry, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not till she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, enter into Joseph's life at this point. He's a young man. He's betrothed. And the whole betrothal process was, we really can't compare our modern idea of engagement because if there were, there was a betrothal like there was between Joseph and Mary, to break that betrothal would have meant divorce. So this was a commitment by Joseph, by Mary, in fact, the, the betrothal period was pretty much so Joseph could go build a house. <laughs> a lot of times it was just a matter of adding on to his dad's compound or whatever. But it was a time for Joseph to build a house, to look forward to spending his life with the woman of his dreams. But that changed. Never had changes? <laughs> Think of... Joseph, he's loving God. He's a just man. He's thinking about this. He's looking at the data points. And it's like, I, I, I don't know what to do. To be obedient, but yet to honor this woman, Mary. I don't know what she came and told him. She came and said, Joseph, I got something to tell you. I, I don't I don't know what she said. Maybe she maybe she didn't say anything. I don't know. I think she did. She comes to him. Joseph is a just man. It's the same idea as we see in Romans one, where it says the just shall live by faith. That was Joseph. He was living by faith. He was loving God with his heart, his soul, his mind. He wanted to do what was right. But his dream was dashed. How long did Joseph have to struggle with this? I don't know. A week? A month? Why didn't God just send the angel before the angel even went to Mary? To ask why God does something is probably (laughs) 
We're not always going to get an answer. But Joseph is an honorable man. He did not want to expose his betrothed, Mary, to be stoned, which would have been the normal thing to do at that point. So he puts her away quietly. That's what he's decided to do. Then the angel appears and said, whoa, wait a minute. What does the angel say? Joseph, very specific. Son of David, more specific. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. See how the first and second commandments that Jesus uses to summarize the Old Testament come together here? He loved God. He loved this woman. And God said, you need to do both. And so he said, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. But the proper thing by Mary and put her away quietly. Then the angel comes and says, wait a minute. What you were willing to give up, Joseph, this woman, you're willing to give her up. You you came to the conclusion that was the honorable thing to do. God said, I'm going to give her back to you. What you were willing to give up, you may now have in spades. Because not only does he get Mary back, it's... Okay, if Max Lucado were writing about this, he'd say something like this. I don't think he did, but maybe I shouldn't attribute something that he didn't say. But anyway, it's as though the angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, I need someone to love that woman, and I need someone to raise my son. That's a little different take on what Joseph is called to do. Joseph said, I'm all in. I'll do it. When you, when you think of, we don't have many references to Joseph as we read through the Gospels. But I think we have some indications that Joseph decided at that point he was going to own this. He's referred to a couple of times as being the father of Jesus. He's also the one, because it's about a year later that the Herod was trying to kill all the babies and wipe out Jesus as well. And it says that when Joseph had that dream, he immediately got up and they left for Egypt. At that point, Joseph could have said, all right, you know, too much. I'm out of here. No, he owned it. He was all in. He cared for Mary. He cared for Jesus because he loved God with all his heart, soul, and mind. And he loved his neighbor as himself. The other thing is, what, what, what vocation did Jesus, what was he known as? He was known as a carpenter, right? Where do you think he learned that? Probably from his dad. So his dad cared for him, provided for him, invested in him. Joseph owned this. When we look at what Joseph had to go through, we've got to realize that loving God doesn't mean life is problem free. 
if if Joseph's walking through the aisles at Meyer, and somebody sees him, go, oh, oh, he, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you about him. He lived with that. He said, okay, I'll, I will accept that to do God's will. So doing God's will and loving him and being obedient doesn't mean we don't have problems. Nor does it mean we understand what God's trying to accomplish. I, I, I don't know what went through Joseph's mind, but he was told this baby, this special baby, it's going to save people from sins. And Joseph said, that's important. That's what God wants. That's what I want too. Okay, so that's Joseph. Let's take a look at Mary. Uh, Luke 1 started in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I can't help but be amazed at Mary's almost immediate acceptance of, okay, it, it, she didn't sit back and go, yeah, okay, I, I need to negotiate a little bit here. No. This is what the angel said. This is what she said. I'm your servant. Let it happen. Amazing obedience. Love God. Love him in spite of circumstances. Love him in spite of surprises. Love him with your whole being. How many like surprises? <laughs> Depends on what it is, right? John Wharton recently got a surprise. He was um, he lost his wallet, his car keys, his cash, 
plus some other things, lost them all. And I was talking to him after the fact. They were found, by the way. So he's all good. He can drive now and has his wallet. It's illegal. But I was asking him afterwards. I said, John, what, what was that like? He said, well, I kind of had to look at it from the standpoint of where does this all fit in with eternity? I like that. Where does it fit in with eternity? What's it got to do with eternity? Because if you can't find your wallet, okay, it's an inconvenience. But you can get, you can get past that. But can you see it from the standpoint of God has a purpose for this? I bet the first time after he got his keys back, when he picked them up, he said, thank you, Lord. He had, he, he had a bunch of reminders now of God's faithfulness to him. One of the things I want to look at is the verse that, that Matthew writes to, to the, that the angel speaks to, to Joseph is a virgin will be with child. You'll bear a son. That's from Isaiah chapter 7. It's, it's in the context of, it's almost a threat as Isaiah writes it because there's intrigue going on between among kings and it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to pull that out and apply it to the Messiah unless, unless you're looking for a Messiah. I think people read the Old Testament their Bible much differently than we do today because they were looking forward. They wanted to see God's outworking of his provision of a savior, of one who would take away sins. Um, first Peter and first Peter talks about they, the prophets longed look, to look into these things. Even angels longed to look into them. I think New Testament Jewish people before Jesus came were looking at the Bible and asking, I want a clue. Is there a clue there? Is, is it possible this has something to do with the Messiah coming? Because when, the, when Matthew writes this to Joseph, he said, all this happened to fulfill the scripture. And then he quotes Isaiah 7.14. We have in this book, we, we, we have in this book the mind of God. Is that how we read it? Do we look to this book and understand that this book contains truth like no other? We don't read this book, it reads us. It calls us to love God. Jesus is whispering in the ear of every person, I've come from heaven to take you home. I love you. Follow me. All we have to do as a captive is get up and follow. That's pretty good news. That's a good deal. Bad guys are gone. They don't have any claim on me anymore. God has called us home. But this verse in Isaiah, it, I've asked a couple people this, and they're not, it really made them think. Verse 
33, I'm sorry, verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? Okay, now wait a minute. Mary's betrothed. She's going to be married shortly. She and Joseph are going to start a family. Why would she ask that question? Why would she assume that she's not going to have a a child in the normal way? Because I think she knew Isaiah 7.14, which made it clear that not only will this virgin get pregnant, this virgin will give birth. Joseph was given the same promise. If you were to go into Mary and Joseph's bathroom, I think this verse would have been on their mirror. A child is going to be born. Mary, Joseph, you two, as a couple, you're going to raise the Son of God. You're going to bear shame. People are going to look at you and go, sheesh, there goes that weird couple. They keep telling that same story. They were all in. They owned it. We need to own it. We need to respond to that whisper in our ear of, we need to go home to heaven. We can be home right now. Not, not in the sense of we'll die right now. But the fact that we are walking with a God who has sent his son to save our hearts, our souls, our minds, to walk with him. It's an invitation. Follow him. Are you facing a tough decision? I got a recommendation be all in look to God you won't necessarily solve the problem but it'll get you above the problem we've all got things we've gone through or maybe we're going through now and we just go I I don't know how this is going to work out that's okay neither did Mary and Joseph they didn't know how this was going to play out but they decided to own it and be all in to what God had called them to do. Chuck Swindoll writes, without God, no other solution truly lasts. With God, all other problems eventually fade away. I love that. Beth and I recently got a newsletter from crew that told a story that I'm going to shorten it, but it's an amazing story. There's, there's a woman who was, did not, did not follow the Christian faith. She followed the religion from the North as a letter wrote. This is a country in Africa. She had decided she was going to blow up some, some people in the marketplace. She was ready to go the next day. That night she got sick. And Jesus appeared to her. (laughs) Jesus appeared to her and said, in, in blinding light, she couldn't really see his face, but she heard his voice. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. 
she had been around enough Christians that she kind of knew what it meant. So she went to a Christian. The Christian explained to her what it, what it meant, and she decided to follow Jesus. So she changed her life. Jesus changed her life. But then Jesus appeared again to her and said, you need to go and tell the regional commander this truth about me. Now, the regional commander was responsible for a lot of deaths. He was strongly following the religion of the north. She, she thought, well, I followed one God and I was willing to die. I can follow Jesus and be willing to die. The true religion, the true savior, the true one worth following. So she was looking for a way to follow, to, to get to this guy. She saw somebody in the market who was a partner in the cell she was in and approached him and said, will you take me to so-and-so? And the guy said, whoa, wait a minute. You, you, what do you want to do? Well, she was very forthright. She said, Jesus appeared to me and I need to tell him the gospel. The guy's like, you got to be kidding. Okay. He decided to take her. So they got through one checkpoint. Again, she's very clear what she wants to do. And the, the guards say, you're going to die. Keep going. <laughs> Second checkpoint, same thing. Third checkpoint, same thing. Fourth checkpoint, the guy that was taking her said, I am out of here. This is nuts. I am not going in front of that guy and tell him what you say you're going to tell him. So he leaves. She gets through. She gets up to the compound, goes through her story again. Again, it's you're going to die. Go ahead. She goes in. She tells the guy what she has learned about God. And the guy starts crying. And kind of uncomfortable silence for her. She half expected to die. But he said, three days ago, Jesus appeared to me and said, a woman was going to come and tell me that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he became a Christian. It gets better. He sends out a notice to all of his lieutenants and said, come here, I got something important to tell you. Busloads of guys are coming in. She's explaining, he's explaining the gospel to them. This was a firsthand account from the guy from crew that wrote this. I read, Beth and I read through this, thought this, God's just shown off. <laughs> what an amazing way of someone, an example of someone being all in. I, I don't know where you are in terms of what you're going through right now. You might be whatever, you fill in the blank. There might be a reason you would say, well, I can't do anything for God. I can't love God. I can't follow him. Be done with excuses. I'm saying this to myself too. Love God with your heart, soul, and mind. With that as a firm foundation, with Jesus whispering in your ear, I've come from heaven to take you home. Follow me. Implement the second command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time of being able to look at your word. Thank you for the inspiration that you give us 
the summary of the law, but yet the complete explanation too. Thank you that we can be yours. Thank you that you've called us to follow you. Give us a desire, Lord God, not from obligation, but from just amazement that you would call us to be yours. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.